Holy Spirit, we thank you that you lead us, you guide us. We ask you to be our teacher. We ask you to lead and guide us into all truth. We ask you and we welcome you as our helper, our Aetzer, that, that you'll bring us strength and wisdom and guidance. We pray you'd open the scriptures that they would feed our spirit, that they would transform and liberate our soul. God, we just want to give you glory. We were singing it. We give you all the glory, for you are worthy to be praised. We bless you, and we thank you for your incarnation, Lord Jesus, that you came, you became one of us, so that we can run to you, and, and you understand our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, I could just go on and on, but I won't. So, this is titled The Journey to the Promise. Last week was Looking for the Promise. I know it's like a preacher thing. You try to make a, a series so there's some continuity. It's scope and sequence if you're a school teacher, you know, but not too much scope, not too much sequence. But <laughs> anyway, all right. But so I open your Bibles to Matthew chapter one, verse one. This is the beginning, the first verse of the New Testament. Very interesting. And... Uh, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then it starts out, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Now, many of you know that Abraham is the father of our faith, but isn't that interesting that the, the New Testament begins by pegging Jesus Christ as the seed of Abraham? I mean, why Abraham? You know, so here we are. We're starting with Abraham and Abraham, you know, if you understand, like the first 11 chapters of Genesis are sort of the prequel to the main story, which is the history of salvation. Like, you know, the creation, the problem, the failure of Adam, the failure of Cain, the failure, you know, failure, failure, failure. And then Abraham comes along and God calls him his friend. And he says, I know that you love me. Amazing. So Abraham is a very important person. And it's interesting that if we go back and we look at the life of Abraham, which begins in Genesis 12, which is the next place we're going, that five times God promised land to Abraham. And five times he promised descendants, seeds to Abraham. And those pro that promise, it's like a two-part promise, but has been contested by the forces of darkness since it was spoken. And I just want to say we're living in that time, you know, and, and we, we see the, the response to October 7th was very different than the, than the response to September 11th, 2001. September 11th, 2001, our country drew together this, you know, this October horrified to see the manifestation of the growth of anti-Semitism in America. A Cornell professor publicly declaring he was energized by the, the Hamas atrocity, you know, the invasion. I mean, they didn't come across, and the, you know, the story is, oh, you sh we should feel sorry for him, and we love all people. But, the, but I'm, I'm distinguishing Hamas from Palestinians. They came as terrorists to murder, to take babies captive, to kill babies, to rape women, all this stuff. 
to, to, to video it, to GoPro it, to send back to their family, hey, I've killed 10 Jews today. And in America, we have huge crowds in big cities chanting, gas the Jews. You know, in universities, Harvard, UPenn, Princeton, Cornell, I mean, it's Columbia. It's like, what happened to the Ivy League? You know, like there's been, so anti-Semitism is always a symptom of a dying culture. And the Jews are always and have always been the canary in the mine. Like, and so once, once a culture turns against the Jewish people, that culture is dying. So God help us. How many think God needs to save America? That we need a massive renewal, revival, an outpouring of salvation, a renewal of minds, and a, and a purification of our culture. And we'll get it one way or another, you know. So, okay. So Genesis 12.1. God tells Abraham, leave and go to the land I will show you. There's the first of the five promises of the land. And he says, and I'll make of you a great nation. There's the first promise of descendants. And it, it's repeated in, in Genesis 15. Look at the stars. If you can count them, that's how many children you'll have. Genesis 17, Abram, you got to change your name <laughs> because I'm going to make you the father of a multitude of nations. You're now Abraham. Oh, my. And then Genesis 22, the the kind of the climax of, of Abraham's faith journey is, is on Mount Moriah, and God speaks to him after he's willing to sacrifice his son, like willing to go back into, like, this is crazy. Abraham doesn't know how to process it. He thinks God will must raise him for the dead because he promised he'd have a, a son. And uh, amazing. And God says, Abraham, now I know I love you. And he, once again, he promises descendants, as many as the stars, as many as the sand. And I have good news to you. If you're in faith, you're one of the children of Abraham. Because in Christ, we're brought into that lineage of faith. Isn't that good? And he made of the two one new man. So what happens to Israel is very important to what happens to us. I'm just saying. Okay, so, but now we, I want to, did you find Genesis? This is the beginning of the whole Bible. We're in Matthew and Genesis, okay. And, uh, but at, toward the end, or not toward the end, but after many years, like 60 years of, of Abraham, Abraham following God, we come to Genesis 23, and uh, it tells us that Sarah died at the age of 127, and, uh, which made, meant that Abraham was 147. And they had, they had been, I mean, they left Ur of the Chaldees, Haran. They had left, you know, 60, 70 years earlier. So this is huge. And um, Genesis 23, verse 2 Sarah died in Hebron, which is in the West Bank right now, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham proceeded to mourn for Sarah and to bewail her. Like, I don't know if you've been around um, Middle Eastern people, but they let their emotions out. It's probably, you know, so he's, this is devastating to him. And so you can imagine when Sarah died, like this is a massive change in his life, Abraham owns no land, and he only has one son that, the, that 
counts in the lineage of faith. I mean, obviously he had Ishmael and God blessed Ishmael and Abraham loved Ishmael, but Ishmael is not counted in the promise. The promise, he said, you know, Isaac carried that. So, um, and then in verse three, I'm reading from a, a modern uh, translation, it's a Jewish translation of the Old Testament called Tanakh. Okay, so you're probably not too familiar with it. Um, verse three, then Abraham rose from beside his dead and spoke to the Hittites saying, I am a resident alien among you. Sell me a burial site among you that I may remove my dead for burial. And so, so this is something, the first thing, like, when Abraham gets up out of his grief and, and his mourning for Sarah, the first thing he does is, is he leans into the promise. He says, wait a minute, you know, I was promised land, I was promised seed, and so far I don't have any, I need land now. So he buys a plot of land for Sarah and he pays an exorbitant price for a tiny piece of the promised land. So his first actual possession in the promised land that he owns, and chapter 23 is a long detailed account of the, the, the Hittites saying, no, Abraham, we don't wanna sell you any of our land, but you could just, hey, you know, we got plenty of land, we'll let you have a cave here. But it wouldn't be his, it would be theirs. See, there's a difference there. So, so Ephraim is almost like leading Abraham out of the promise that he would have, like, no, I want, I, and so they negotiate, and you have to understand the culture that, that a lot of what Ephraim, it's just kind of posturing because this, and Abraham says, look, I'll pay an exorbitant price because this is gonna be my wife's burial place. And that, in his lifetime, that's the only part of the promised land that he actually owned. And he was buried there, and Joseph was buried there. It became the family burial site. Okay, so, but now the second thing he does, so he takes care, he resolves the past, and he actually, he, he locks in to the promise. It's like he owns, you know, a half an acre or five acres, I have no ideas two hectares, whatever. I don't know how they measured the land. But he owns this land. And now he says, now the other part is, come on, Isaac. He's almost 40 and he's not married. He says, Eliezer, go back where I came from and get him a wife. And it's an amazing thing when Eliezer goes there and he meets Rebecca and, and, it all, and God answers his prayers and all these signs and wonders that that Laban does the same thing Ephron is doing. He said, no, nah, just stay here, stay here, stay here. Here, we're gonna have another feast. No, we don't. And I think at the, in the back of the mind is to delay the manifestation of the promise. And ultimately, he could lead Isaac astray and he would go back to the land of, of the Chaldeans and, and settle there as one of them. Just saying. And so, so this is like always the plot. There's always a resistance. Do you know the word in Hebrew for that we, that we translate Satan is hashatan. It means the opposition. There's always an opposition to the promises of God. And so, the, uh, so you know, Abraham, he had neither land nor grandchildren, and he didn't get frustrated, angry, uh, you know, undone, instead with God, he's before God and he hears this still small voice prompting him to action. He, that the, you know, it's saying, 
The next step depends on you, Abraham. Create a future that I will fill with my spirit. And so when he steps into that, he moves out of mourning into faith. And, uh, and so faith constructs a landing strip for the promises to land. Faith is able to live with delay without losing hope. And I just, I love you people. I love, this is a house of faith and you guys do great things and, and it's just beyond, beyond. And so the second thing, anyway, so he creates a future, he creates a landing strip for God's promises that will go on and on and on. And uh, faith is the ability or it's the knowing that the road between where I am and what God has promised is long and it's not gonna be easy. The, didn't Jesus say the way is narrow? You know, the gate is narrow and the way is difficult. Okay, so this is it. And so this was Abraham's faith, but he was willing to take the journey. This is Abraham's faith, who's the father of our faith. It was Sarah's faith, and it must be ours. And so, the, so this promise goes from Abraham into Isaac, into Jacob, into Judah, and comes out of Judah through Tamar. There, and there's all this messy story. And there's, you know, there's Rahab, the harlot, who becomes David's great-great-grandmother. And then there's... Ruth the Moabitess, who becomes his great-grandmother. And, it, and then, then, you know, it's really interesting, and I might, I might have put one extra great in there. It's, it's not my point. But the, what is so interesting is that then it says, and Jesse was the father of David. Like, wait, where's David's mother? David's mother is not named anywhere in Scripture, and there's a reasonable suspicion that David was illegitimate, that this why Jesse didn't bring him out. Bring, but I'm just saying this, God uses people that we would disqualify. And I have no proof of that. When I get to heaven, I might meet David's mother and go, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, I've, all this time I had the wrong impression. But God loves it, you know, we're just on a journey. So, so anyway... This promise passes from Abraham to Joseph through many generations, and about 1,800 years later, we come to verse 16, Matthew 1:16, and Jacob, not, not Jacob who became Israel, but another Yaakov, was the father of Yusef, Joseph, the husband of Miriam, Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ or the Messiah, Mashiach, you know, the, the anointed one. He was the fulfillment of the promise. Like we just read and go, oh, that's nice. Well, 42, there's 42 generations, but I only count 41. So some people come up with the idea that the 42nd generation is, is Christ and all this, it very well could be, but I just want you to know, in ancient times, people were not as detailed and obsessed with this kind of stuff as we are. You know, it was just kind of, we're in the neighborhood. Okay, so... Um, and it is, it's the communication of the message that matters. And so we think, yay, the, message, the promise came, hallelujah, but it's never simple. This is what Abraham understood this, and I mean, this you know, is a long and torturous road that they went through, but not only was it torturous to get to Joseph and Mary, but how it got to Joseph and Mary is definitely not so simple. And so Mary also is, on, is, is like a great, great hero of the faith. You know, whether she's named in, in, 
Hebrews 11 or not, doesn't matter. There's only one Mary and only one BVM, you know, the Blessed Virgin Mary for all, okay. Or if I was orthodox, it'd be like this. Okay, but anyway. But Mary had a totally unique faith. When the angel came to Mary, it was like a rock to world. Luke chapter one. Okay, you can go there. Verse 26, in the sixth month, sixth month of what? Sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, but we'd have to read the, the prequel to get there. But in the sixth month, God sent, this is an apostolic mission, of the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, which had a really bad reputation, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. I, I'm reading out of the NIV here. A descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, greetings, hail. <laughs> you know, greetings, you who are highly favored or full of grace. Um, the Lord is with thee. I just switched to King James for fun. Okay, but so, so this angel Gabriel is one of the few named, angel, named angels in scripture, Gabriel and Michael, is sent to Mary to make this pronouncement, and Mary's like shook up. She's greatly troubled. That means like everything inside's going, what's going on here? And wondered what kind of greeting this might be and why me? I, you know, I'm just this teenage girl and, and a very godly, devout teenage girl, obviously with, you know, special. Um, God picked her out of all the women in the whole world and picked Joseph to be the foster father. It's amazing. You will be with child. Now there's a shocker. Like what? You know, oh yeah, someday. And give birth to a son. Okay, that's good. And you are to give him the name Jesus, Yeshua. Now, Jesus, Yeshua was a, a common name. You know, it was a name like Josh. You know, all the Joshes here, somehow your name is linguistically connected to the name Yeshua. But Yeshua holds within it the statement that Yahweh is salvation. And so she is to give, now this is wild because the one who named all the stars is going to be named by a teenage girl. She's to give him that name and then he will be great, which you're not expecting if you grow up in Nazareth, and will be called the son of the most high, which means God. Like, ooh, that's intense because at the time there was a Roman emperor named Augustus Caesar who declared himself to be not only a son of God, but a God. And so you'll be sent the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Now her mind's getting blown. Like, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And the kingdom will never end. Oh my gosh. Now she's like, like, wait, wait, wait. I can't. Do you understand? I couldn't process. I'm now 73. If, if, if someone spoke this to me, I couldn't process it. Well, I'm not a, a girl, and you know, but I mean, if I was a 35-year-old woman, I couldn't process it. I'm just saying, she's a young girl, a young virgin girl who lives with her parents. She's betrothed, but, which means she's legally married, but they haven't entered into a full consummation of the relationship. And she's hearing this stuff, and it's boggling her mind. And so she, she has a response, which is actually a response of faith, like, how will this be since I am a virgin? Like, like the, evidently there was, she was receiving it, hearing it with faith, and she's just wondering like, wait, but this is, this is impossible. This is naturally impossible. How will this be? I, there's one issue. I'm a virgin. I am not married yet. Like maybe you came a year too early. What do you think? And, and the angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Boom. 
Like, she, does she know what that means? I don't know. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That sounds scary. <laughs> you, therefore, overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. <laughs> you know, like, this is like, hey, one day, wake up today. So now, it's very interesting like she's at this point where she's hearing the word, but the angels actually, and this is kind of a lesson in faith. So Mary's gonna come to full faith through a testimony, verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. It's like, what? Now they didn't have social media back then, and Elizabeth was not posting sonograms of, hey, here's, you know, like, it was like, this is like, like Elizabeth was like, like, you know, I mean, when it happened to her, he said, God has taken away my shame. But it's like, this was a very hush-hush thing. In fact, it was totally hush-hush because Zechariah couldn't talk and maybe he couldn't hear because when they were trying to find out what John's name was gonna be, they made sign language, which you don't usually do to people who can, I'm not sure. We won't know till we get there. It's awesome. There's a lot of stuff we're going to find out. But he gives her, him this, her this testimony of something that she's going like, you're kidding. Whoa. Have you ever heard a testimony? Anne was just telling me. She heard a testimony this morning from a, a young man that, that it's a whole story attached to uh, uh, an offering and these things that happened, and he, it's just mind-boggling. And Anne's like, I can't believe what I just heard. I mean, you believe it. You know how you say, I can't believe? It just means it's big. <laughs> you know, it's big. Like, it's on the edge of what you can believe. But, but you believe it. So she, she hears this testimony, and it's like, whoa, that's good. And then he makes a declaration. For nothing will be impossible with God. It means, like, every promise of God has within it the power to bring it to pass. Like, there's no... Nothing God says that doesn't have the power to come into existence. So he's saying this to her, and evidently, it gets her. And she says, here's her response of faith. Verse 38, Mary says, behold, I am the servant, the female slave of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. So evidently, he had fulfilled his mission. I love how the New Living translates verse 38. She says, may everything you've said about me come true. Now, I want to ask you a question. God says a lot of amazing things about you in, in Scripture, particularly the New Testament. Is that true? Like, you're a new creation. Old things are passed away. You're the righteousness of God. You have the mind of Christ. You have wisdom. You have, I mean, they're like, we, and I, this is one of the things I want to do in 2024. It's like, give us some, some, let's just make a list of all the things we are. This is who we are. Sometimes we don't, we don't live the life we're meant to live because we forget who we are. I mean, we hear it now and then, but it's not like we're not like renewing our mind into, so, so, Oh, she's saying, may everything you've said about me come true. Now, would you like to take the Bible and everything it says about you, and would your response be, may everything, not most things, not some things, may everything you've said about me come true. How many think that would change your life? 
Okay, why don't you stand up just for a second. This will only be a one-minute stand-up. And if you can't stand up or you don't want to stand up or you want to leave, just do what, you know, <laughs> because God needs partners who are willing, not people that are forced. Okay, so you don't have to do this, but... So we're gonna say this together. I'm gonna say it again, just in case you forgot. May everything you've said about me come true. Now let's all say it quiet. May everything you've said about me come true. Would you like that? Like come true means to be realized, to come into reality. Okay, now do you wanna say it loud with faith? with your hands raised, maybe with a little attitude. Okay, we don't know how Mary said this. Okay, let's say it together. May everything you've said about me come true. Woo! Okay, you can be seated. Now I wanna tell you the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. They're, They're without repentance. It means you might mess up and not do a good job of stewarding your gifts or your calling, which a lot, I mean, you just look at the whole Old Testament, how things were stewarded. But I'm telling you, the gifts are still there and the calling remains. So whatever you dreamed that God wanted you to do in your wildest moment of faith, I just encourage you to go back there and start saying, God, may everything you've said about me come true. Not just 80%, not just 40%. Okay, now, so that's Mary's faith, and it must be ours. Now let's look at Joseph's faith, which also must be ours. He has an impossible situation. Matt, we're back at Matthew chapter one. And, you know, it's, Mary comes back from Elizabeth. She suddenly, like, I gotta go, and she went away for three months. Maybe it was only two months, but anyway, she went away early and probably hadn't really, like, I don't know, you know, what, what am I gonna do? And her time with Elizabeth just so edified her and, and built her up, and so she, she has to come back now because it's time for the, for the baby to come. By the way, we're praying for everyone in labor right now, in Jesus' name, <laughs> okay, <laughs> that the babies will come and it'll all be good. So, um, but the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. So here's the story. This is the word of God. When his mother was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, the thing is, Joseph didn't know that. I mean, she came back and he's like, Mary, boy, you got that glow in your cheeks. Like, what's going on? Like, she was a young girl. Three months, she may have no baby bump. You know, it's like, well, I could keep this secret for a while, but, you know, not indefinitely. I, you know, I, I mean, it's, her life has changed. She's come, you know, she's, she's got revelation. on. She said, Joseph, I have to tell you, maybe she told her parents, nobody believes her initially. Like, this is a train wreck, you know, like, gosh. And so her husband, Joseph, who's just like, can you imagine? He's like going through... Like his face turns red, then it turns white, then it turns gray, then it turns red, then it turns green. And he's like, Mary, Mary, sh- Mary, stop, stop, stop. Don't say this. Don't say that. Now, Mary, okay. Mary, now tell me what, what's really going on. You, you mean you're actually pregnant? Yes. Okay. Who's the father? Just tell me. I love you, but this is God. The Holy Spirit, I told you, the angel came and he said, the Holy Spirit, come on me. And boy, did that, that was something like, whoo, I never felt anything like it. And the power of God would overshadow me. And now I'm pregnant. I haven't had a period for like, I don't know, it's like four months. And, and, and 
and he even told me his name. Be quiet, Mary. You can't take it. I got to go. I'm leaving. So he goes away. He's back. He comes back the next day. Okay, tell me again. So he's like, what can I do? I love her. She's so nice. She's so sweet. She's so young. If I expose her, she's going to be stoned to death, or, or at minimum, she'll be excommunicated from the whole community, bring shame to her family, shame to me, the whole thing. And so her husband is a just man. He's a righteous man. He's full of the love of God. This is the meaning of, of Sadiq, of righteous, that he's filled with joy. It's not just like the letter of the law. That's not righteous. That it's the spirit of the law and the letter. You know, so Joseph is a devout man that God picked to be the foster father of, of the <laughs> incarnate word of God, and he's unwilling to put her to shame. Aren't you glad that God's unwilling to put you to shame and that he saved us from our sin and our shame and made a way? And so he's being, you know, he's got the heart of God, and he resolves, okay, the only thing I can do is divorce her quietly. That way the blame will go on me. They'll just go, boy, you are such a jerk. Like you don't love her because that's the only grounds. If he doesn't expose what seems like adultery, he's gonna have to divorce her and just say, I have a hard heart, which is what scripture says. If the husband has a hard heart and doesn't love his wife, he can divorce her. And so, boy, there goes my reputation, there goes my standing. Plus, on top of that, after it's obvious that she's pregnant and has a baby, it's like, this is gonna ruin his life. And he's total surrender to love and to the heart of God. And so he, dissol he, he dissolves <laughs> to divorce her. <laughs> he resolves to divorce her quietly. And now, in that state, he's going, okay, I don't, I'll give everything up. I, I can't, the thought of her being stoned is freaking me out. And so, now an angel comes to him and gives him a message. Verse 20, he considers these things. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. It's very important that he calls him son of David. He's reminding him of his lineage, which you probably knew, but he doesn't think about it every day, probably. Fear not, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived of in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, so the angel, I say, Joseph, her pater the paternity is unique. I know she told you this, you didn't believe her. I'm here in your dream in a real way, like I'm, <laughs> I'm talking to you in your dream, that it's the Holy Spirit. And not only that, Verse 21, salvation has a name. She will bear a son, and you will call his name, he also has a gender, name Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus. Now wait, if I'm gonna call his name Jesus, I mean, okay, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna get married to Mary. We're gonna, and he will save his people from their sins, which is, is the true source of all slavery. And so, and then he, on top of that, now the angel gives him scripture for what he's saying. Or, or maybe he didn't, but it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, and he quote, you know, he's, he's citing Isaiah 9. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And... When jo and now here's the faith of jo Joseph. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. Faith demands action. So this is oh, Abraham's faith, Mary's faith, Joseph's faith. It's got to be our faith. And so sometimes we, we get confused. The divine promise is not what it first seems. 
It's a statement, and by the way, I'd like the worship team to come up here, which will give everyone hope that we're getting close. <laughs> okay, the, so, but listen to this. When, when you get a promise from God, it's, it may not be what it seems, which we think, okay, God's gonna do it, right? God will act, but it's actually a request. It's an invitation from God in, you know, to partner with him. And, and God, when God spoke to Abraham, he was speak, it was an invitation from Abraham and his children. And if you're of faith, you're now a child of Abraham, that they should act, and God will help them. But the outcome will, the outcome will be what God said, but it won't be that way without total commitment, without total surrender of, of our lives to what he said. Is that true? Why would he demand total surrender? Do you understand he totally surrendered for you, for me? Philippians 2, he humbled himself to death for you, for me, for the joy set before him. And so, this is an amazing faith. The wise men had a similar amazing faith. The wise men were Gentiles, and they, they may have lived in what today is northern Iraq, and, uh, and they came in Matthew chapter two, so next characters in the scene, they come, and this is after Jesus has been born, you know, after the angels came, the shepherds came, and uh, you know, all of that. After eight days, he was circumcised and, and named Jesus in his circumcision, and Simeon prophesied 33 days later, and Anna came, and all this stuff. Now it's after that, the wise men show up. And they, say, and they show up in Jerusalem, and they say this, we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, they, they may not have been part of the covenant people. I mean, their understanding is they're Gentiles. But they saw a sign in the heavens, the heavens declare the glory of God, and they responded with faith. We have to go see this. And as they responded with faith, I believe their, their revelation increased, and, the, and it's like, we've come to worship him. And, you know, and they may have been very familiar with, with Hebrew prophecy and scripture, and as they studied it, they came to the conclusion, not without the help of the Holy Spirit, that it's not just a Mashiach, it's God. And we've come to worship him. They may have had more faith than the Jewish scholars of the day. <laughs> anyway, so, um, anyway, so they follow this miraculous star. They end up in Jerusalem. And when they get to Jerusalem, verse 2 says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. I mean, this is like, this word is very strong. It's like an emotional upheaval. And all of Jerusalem with him. So, so not just Herod, but everybody who heard about it was like, what, what, is this the end of the world? Do you have your food storage? How much, you know, what? <laughs> it's like, what, what's going on here? And then there were, so they had an emotional response. Then Herod thought, we need to find out what's going on here. So I'm reading four, verses four through six from the New Living Translation, he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? That's very interesting. He's, he's the king of Israel. He's, he's a half Jewish and wants to be the king. Of, he doesn't know this. So they tell him, 
It's in Bethlehem of Judea, which is only six miles away, two hours walk, you know. And they said, maybe longer if you've got kids, but they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And he quotes Micah, as you, or they cite Micah, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And it's amazing. So here's these people, they've all had encounters with something. The people, you know, they were all shook up, but they got over it. And sometimes we, have you ever been in, you've seen people, they've been really impacted religiously by, I mean, the Holy Spirit's come upon them, they've had things happen, and you think, man, they're gonna be changed forever, and then you run into them two months later, and they're the same. They got over it. They didn't pursue the whisper of God, or the shout of God. And then there's the priests and scholars, and the priests and scholars, they, had, they were theologians, but they had faith without action. I don't know what they did. Why didn't they go like, hey, it's only two hours away, we should go do research. They said, well, that's very interesting. Hmm, wonder what Rabbi so-and-so said about what, I'm gonna write a paper on this. Maybe it'll be published in the next journal. And uh, it, I mean, it's just like, wait, where's the action? And the worst one was Herod. He responded with treachery. In verse seven, he calls the Magi in secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared and sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, come and tell me so that I too may go and worship him. But what he really wanted to do was kill him. He had the spirit of Laban on him, you know, and the spirit of everybody who ever was opposed to the promise of God. And so thank you that they had discernment Verse nine says, after they listened to the king, they must have thought there's something that's not, it doesn't seem right. We're getting out of this town. And, and uh, the star that, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm trying to skip some. <laughs> I wanna make sure I don't skip the important part. Uh, they, after they listened to the king, they went on the way and behold, the star that they had seen when, when it rose before them, went, when it rose, went before them and came to rest over the place where the child was. Like, there's that star again. And they were overwhelmed. They, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, which means it was so, so extreme. And I want to say this. Sometimes when we're in the presence or in the will of God, one of the indicators is the supernatural joy that overtakes us. And they come and they bow down and they opened their, they worshiped him and opened their treasure. They saw the child, Mary the mother, and they went on their way. And the aim of every promise of God is to bring us to Jesus. Why don't you stand up? And so they're warned in a dream, go back another way. They go, Joseph has a dream again. The, the angel appears to him in the dream and says, flee to Egypt because Herod is going to come and try to kill him. And so in the middle of the night, Joseph gets, isn't this faith? Like here's this angel in the dream. It's like, I'm, it's good, here's the baby, you know? Like, so God takes him down into Egypt, which is this amazing allegory that just as Israel went into Egypt and was there and became a nation, that Jesus goes into Egypt and he comes up out of Egypt after three years and some of you, um, went, went with Mike and uh, Mosin and went to Egypt and toured some of that land that they went on. But 
and they remained there until the death of Herod. So the promise was protected, but it always takes faith. And so here's, I just want to say this, Galatians 5, 6. We can do a lot of things, but here's what matters. It's faith that's working through love. NIV, Galatians 5, is it 6, 5 or 5, 6? 5, 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Amen? So it's like he has made promises to each of us. He's, I mean, even if it, like no one ever prophesied over you, but you read something that popped off the page and burned in your heart or you heard a message and you said, that's for me. I'm telling you, God's whispering to you and he's looking for faith. He's looking for friends who will do what he says. That's what faith is. And all this is for his glory. Amen? Amen. Okay. I am finished with my little message here. But I think God is at work in our hearts. I'm, I'm going to pray for you that your homes are filled with his glory at Christmas. But I think, could we just take a few minutes and worship? Because his name was given to Mary to give to him. It was spoken to Joseph so that Joseph would officially name him. This is the name that's above every name. This is what we celebrate annually. We refocus on the promise of God that God kept his promise and sent the Savior. And now he will keep his promises regarding his glory in the earth, regarding his kingdom. And he promised he would come again. And so I just think we should sing about the glory of his name. What do you say? Okay.
Wow. You know, faith requires response. And I, I believe that when the shepherds heard the angels sing, they went to the next level in the encounter and came and saw the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. And likewise, when the, these magi, magi, the wise men, came and they saw him, they fell down and worshiped him. And I just wonder if what they, you know, that this may not have been a silent meeting. You know, they gave him gifts, they, they, they poured out what they had brought, but worship fuels the promise. Worship fuels faith, worship fuels missions, worship fuels evangelism, worship fuels a heart response that says yes to God. May everything you've said about me happen. So God, we just thank you that we, we thank you that gifts under the tree are nice. It's so wonderful and can be a lot of fun. But your presence, this is the real present. This is your unspeakable gift. Your presence changes our lives and changes our world. We thank you for this name that's above every name. This name that stills the storm, this name that will be every knee will bow, every tongue confess all over the world. No matter what happens, he's faithful, keeps his promise. I just want to pray for you. Father, I, just, I pray that as we're in this season, we thank you that in the midst of turmoil, pressure, all the world events and dysfunction everywhere, that the peace of God that passes understanding would keep our hearts and minds and that we would shine like the sun, that we would carry your presence and we would have opportunities to see you move, to, give, to, to pray, to speak a word of acknowledgement and blessing. God, we pray this would be a time of wonder. And we pray for all the children. We pray for all the parents that there would be grace in, in celebrations of Christmas to keep it centered on the goodness of God, on gratitude. God, we thank you that in the darkest time, your promise is still moving forward. And we trust you. We trust your promise. Delay is not going to take away our determination in Jesus' name. So, Father, I just bless every home here, and I pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the, the communion, the presence, the participation of the Holy Spirit would fill every home, and that every home would be a place where Christ dwells. I pray this in Jesus' name, and I bless you with shalom, shalom. Amen. And